So first we're just going to go uh, James chapter 5, 7 through, uh, 7 through 11, and it should be up on the board as well. Are we recording, Lauren? Are we all set? You are the jam. All right, here we go. So 7 through 11. Therefore, be patient, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. The farmer waits for the precious produce of the soil, being patient about it until it gets the early and late rains. You too be patient. Strengthen your heart, for the coming of the Lord is near. Do not complain, brothers, against one another, so that you yourself may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience to the prophets who spoke Uh, To the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord, we count those blessed who endured, who have heard of the endurance of Job. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Okay, in this section that we just read, we're going to kind of take it in two sections tonight. In this section that we read tonight, you kind of heard this word being repeated over and over again, kind of. Did some of you catch it? What is this word? Huh? Say it again, sorry. Patient. Yeah, good job, Will. Um, So Will got it. Uh, So it's patience. Um, Patience or endurance is mentioned. I don't know if you're a note taker. Patience or endurance is mentioned seven times in these five verses. In the first five verses, the word patience or endurance is mentioned in in every verse but one. And the one verse in there that patience isn't mentioned, James is giving us a characteristic of patience. So it's already clear, okay? So it's already clear from this section that James wants us to live lives that might, listen, that might not be happy all the time. But that might not be sad all the time. That aren't necessarily hyped up all the time, but aren't necessarily quiet all the time. But he wants us instead to be characterized as what? As patient. job, Gus. He wants us to be patient. And we know this because James, look at that first verse, look at 7. We know this because James does not give the example... Like when giving us an example of this, he doesn't tell us about a wildly successful speaker or politician, things are going awesome, or, or an example of a prisoner waiting for release in a cell, you know, something terrible. He gives us the example of a farmer, someone who works hard, but also has a lot of things that are out of their control. And he says, that's you. Now think about that. The farmer has to prepare the field, prepare the seed and the soil, but ultimately, whether or not it rains is really out of his control. And in the same way, we are to continue to work, going to school and behaving and being kind and patient to others. That's our field that you are to work in. But as to when the Lord is coming back, we have to acknowledge that that is out of our control. So we have to wait. We have to be patient. We have to endure. Listen to a guy named John Bloom. Now listen and think about patience. This is not something I would use to characterize a lot of people, right? Myself included. I would not be like, well, he's very patient, right? But that's what the Bible calls us to be. Now listen to what John Bloom says. We humans are always seeking to discover new keys to success. But nowadays, we're hearing more and more about something from the past. 
After much research, listen, after much research, it turns out that across all ethnic, economic, educational, and psychological demographics, one characteristic emerges as a significant predictor of success. One characteristic, here we go, one characteristic shows itself as a significant predictor of success. Ooh, it is grit. Grit is basically another word for patience in a lot of ways. This is a psychologist, a woman named Angela Lee Duckworth. I know Duckworth's the only thing you're going to remember about that. She has made grit and patience the focus of years of study. This is what she's done. Listen, she's gone to West Point Military Academy to predict which cadets would stay in the military and which would drop out. She's gone to, which is basically the same thing, the National Spelling Bee, basically the same group of people, right, to see which children would do better. She's gone to rookie teachers in tough neighborhoods and asked which ones would be here and be the most effective by the end of the year and which would drop out. She's gone to private companies and said which of these people would keep their jobs and make the most money. Okay? And at the end of her research, she discovered that with all these... I mean, those are some of the most different groups of people. Can we agree? Right? It was not their social skills that helped them last. It was not good looks. It was not even physical health or intelligence. It was their grit. It was their patience. She defines grit as, listen, the ability to persevere in chasing a future goal over a long period of time and not giving up. The ability to persevere in, a, in pursuing a future goal, so you have this future goal for yourself, you're going after it over a long period of time and not giving up. Grit, or patience, is sticking with your future. So think about that. Something that you want. Sticking with your future day in and day out. Not just for the week, not just for the month, but for years. And working really hard to make that future a reality. Grit, listen to what she says. And, and it could be patience. Grit or patience is living life like it's a marathon not a sprint. Patience is living life like it's a marathon, not a sprint. Angela's research in Chicago City Schools showed that many talented students failed to keep their commitment. So these are talented students. They've got the gift. And yet they cannot keep their commitments. This shows us that talent is not what gives you grit, not what gives you patience. Grit was unrelated to the measure of talent. Listen, your ability to endure is not a matter of talent or even of ability. Our ability, James tells us to be patient, to wait for the Lord while we're, while we're in suffering, while things are happening in our lives. He tells us to be patient, to have grit, to endure, to hang on. What's going on in your life, maybe? To be, to be patient, to wait and James tells us more about that in the next verse, in verse 8. So Lauren, pop that on the board for me. Um, he says right here, You as well be patient. Strengthen your heart for, or because, the Lord is coming, the, Lord, the coming of the Lord is near. Be patient, strengthen your heart, because the coming of the Lord is near. 
This idea of standing firm somewhere. That's what strengthen your heart. What do you mean? Strength? What does that mean? Strengthen your heart. It's this idea of standing firm, of not giving in easily, not just folding over easily. James 1.6 tells us, remember, we must pray with faith. If we don't pray with faith, we're like the surf of the sea that gets driven and tossed back and forth by the wind. Our faith in God and in His law is to remain firm under trial. We stay close to Him in times of suffering rather than, remember he says, like the surf of the sea. You get blown, just the, the, the circumstances of the day just blow you into anger, make you furious. Or the boredom of the day just blows you into lust. You've just let the circumstances of the day, the winds of the day, dictate what you feel. You have no anchor in you. Our faith in God and in His law, James says, strengthen your heart. Remain firm when these winds blow. Hold on to your anchor of faith when these winds blow. Our faith in God and in His law is to remain firm under trial. We run to our Bibles. We run to prayer in times of trial. We remain Strong. We strengthen our hearts, holding firm to God while we wait, because He is near. Look at verse 8 again. For the coming of the Lord is near. This is now Jesus came, right? And then He died and rose from the dead, and then He went back up to be with the Father, but He's coming back. This is what the coming of the Lord means. And James says, He's coming back again, and it's near. Now, this was thousands of years ago. Near? James said Jesus' coming is near. This didn't happen in James' lifetime. So is James in the Bible, are James in the Bible, wrong? Well, since Jesus has risen from the dead, he can come back at any time, right? Could be before the end of the sermon. How epic would that be? Um, we are in the last days. As you read in the Bible, it talks about in the last days this will happen, in the last days this will happen. We're in them. We're in the last days because Jesus can return at any time. So any day could be the last day. You see what I mean? But we don't know how long this period goes. Okay? So in his wisdom, God wrote the Bible through his servants in a way, listen, that every single generation will be ready for his return. Every generation. Instead of knowing that God is coming back in the year 2075, Right? Instead of just knowing that, because it says in the Bible, instead, people in the year 850 would read in James, God is coming soon. And they would hope for that. And then people in 1850 would read that God is coming soon. And today, we strengthen our hearts by remembering that God is coming soon. Jesus' return, think about this. Because there are so many students, there are so many people who are in church and they're so, and myself included, they're so anxious or they're so stressed or they're so depressed. And, and there are multiple reasons and multiple remedies for that. But one of them, according to James, strengthen your heart. So stand firm, take courage. Why? Because, for the Lord is coming soon. The coming of the Lord is near. In James's mind, if we remember the fact that Jesus is coming back, 
This will give us hope. This can motivate us to remember that any day God will come back. And listen, Revelation 21 says, Jesus will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Jesus in the flesh. It's not some metaphorical, I'm teaching you. It's Jesus in the flesh, person to person, will come to you face to face. Then wipe the tears of suffering and anxiety and pain in your life. He himself will come back and wipe these tears from your eyes. Revelation 21. Jesus himself in the flesh will come and give you strength and encourage you on the last day. 1 Peter 5. Jesus himself in the flesh will comfort our hearts. 2 Thessalonians 2. Jesus, this is what James is excited about. The coming of the Lord is near. He's going to come and do this himself. We won't even have to do it to each other anymore. Jesus will come in person and comfort us and strengthen us. Also, now why didn't the Bible just say he's coming back at this time? If you don't know when he's coming back, so you really don't know when you're going to face consequences for your actions, does that make sense? You don't know when he's coming back. So you don't know when you're going to have to answer for what you've done, but you still obey him, that's how you know you love him. If God doesn't give us, think about it like this, if God doesn't give us a deadline, I'm coming back at this time. If God doesn't give us a deadline, but we still obey Him anyway, that's proof that we want to obey God and not the deadline. You follow that? If He doesn't give us a deadline and we obey Him anyway, that's proof that we actually want to obey Him instead of the deadline. And think about it. Every time James is asked by a suffering Christian, every time you maybe are asked by someone when things are going terribly, when is Jesus coming back? When is Jesus going to make things right? Instead of saying, well, I don't know, maybe it's 50 years, could be 100 years, I don't know. Or he told us 3075, so 1,050 years from now, I don't know. You can look at that person and say, soon. We hope he's coming soon. We're just going to tell you he's coming back soon. So we wait, we strengthen our hearts because Jesus is coming soon. He tells us how to wait in the next verse. Go ahead and go to verse 9, Lauren. So here we go. Do, now here's, so while we're waiting, here's something to do and not do while we wait for him. While, so think about it. You're undergoing stress. You're undergoing maybe bad things in life. Or when bad things come, we wait for Jesus to return. Do not complain, brothers, against one another, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Brethren, brothers, is um, shorthand for people of the same religion or group. Okay, in the New Testament, anytime they call it, it says brothers or brethren, it's people who believe the same stuff. Okay, so James is talking to the church here. We should not grumble or speak ill against one another. While you suffer, you shouldn't take that out by being mean to other people, or we shouldn't just talk bad about. And this happens so much in the church. This is what's crazy about church. In church. Little things that happen that, that just don't matter outside the church matter a huge deal. They didn't bring biscuits to the student building or whatever. Oh my gosh! You know what I mean? Like, but in the real world, in the real world, like outside the church or whatever, I'm just making up something, it's not a big deal. Or they didn't put out enough chairs or the copier's broken or I think we should pay this much for this. I think we should pay this much for this. Like, Little things in the church that infect so much that don't matter. But in the church, we start to get snippy with each other about. 
We start the, the drama that happens in our little church bubble, and James is aware of this. He's aware that these people are all they have. And in a way, it should be a bubble. We should be closer to each other. But when that happens, you get to see each other's mess, right? And he says, don't grumble or complain against one another. James has warned us about how we use our words in chapter 1, chapter 3, chapter 4, and now again in chapter 5. How you speak, how we speak, influences so much about our lives. A small flame can burn up an entire forest. The small rudder moves a great warship. And in the same way, a positive word of encouragement or a negative word can make or ruin a person's week. Paul tells us to be patient in Ephesians 4.2. But listen, he doesn't just say be patient. Listen to what he says. Bear with one another in love. We're all weird, right? Amen. We've all, got, we've all got our stuff. We've all got our baggage. We've all got our bad days. There's going to be days where you're just going to have to put up with me, where I'm just going to have to put up with you, and we bear with each other in love. We, we walk through this together, and we get through the difficult seasons. That's what Paul says in terms of being patient. Paul then tells us to be patient in 1 Thessalonians 5 when he says, do not pay back evil for evil. When so, so we're supposed to bear each other's burdens. When someone wrongs us, we are not desperate to get the last word in. We don't repay evil for evil. And now James is telling us the same thing. So according to the New Testament, when thinking of patience, so listen, when thinking of how we can be patient, when thinking of how we can endure in faith to the end, a huge factor in that that can hurt or help your endurance is how we interact with other people. How we interact with other people will be a huge helper or hindrance in your ability to endure to the end. How you talk to people does not just impact your eternal destiny, but it impacts the eternal destiny of other people as well. You can help. Listen, you can help be the reason people endure or you may be judged as someone who helped push other people away from Jesus. You caused someone to leave the church because of what you said about them. Or you helped someone hang on in a difficult time because of what you said. Look at verse 9 the second half, so that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge, that's Jesus coming back, is standing right at the door. Jesus came the first time as Savior, right? To die on the cross for our sins. The second time he comes back, the last days when he comes back, he will come back as Savior to those of us who endure and as judge to those who do not. Him being at the door is James's reminder again that Jesus is coming soon. He's not this far away concept that we just think about on Wednesdays and Sundays. He is in our midst right here at the door. It's about to happen. Look at verse 10. James gives us another example here. Verse 10. As an example, brothers, 
of suffering and patience. So as another example, we did the farmer thing first. Now the second example. Take the prophets who spoke in the name of of the Lord. James is giving us another example here. First, it was the patient farmer, and now, as a way we're supposed to be as a community, now it's the prophets of the Old Testament. Here's what this has to do with you. The prophets were people who spoke the truth and worshiped God even when it was difficult. They spoke the truth and they worshiped God even when it was difficult. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den for praying to God. Moses was abandoned by his brother and sister. The people constantly grew frustrated with him. He brought them to the promised land, and then he doesn't get to go in. Jeremiah, second longest prophet. Well, take that back. Jeremiah's in there, though. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet. Ignored, people ignored his message. He was beaten and put in the stocks. He was put at the bottom of an empty well. His life's work was burned up and destroyed, and the list goes on. But all of these men, so, so this is, first of all, now think about it. James looks at the lives of these prophets, and he says, you need to be like that. What? You need to be like this. But all of these men in their suffering had closer walks with God than anyone else around them. Daniel saw firsthand the miracle that we still talk about in children's church today, right? Would you want that, that amazing relationship with God, but you still have to go into the lion's den? Moses would come out from talking to God with his face shining. Exodus 33 tells us the Lord spoke to Moses face to face just as a man speaks to his friend. That's awesome. Jeremiah spoke with God over and over and was told firsthand in chapter 31 about a new covenant that was coming. This was the new covenant that Jesus himself would bring. James is calling us prophets to show us that our lives will be characterized by a hard, wonderful life for Jesus. The same as the prophets. This is what it means to be a Christian. To live a hard but wonderful life for Jesus. Our lives may not be full of material wealth and success. Our, our lives may not be full of comfort and ease, but our lives can be full of a closeness to Jesus even in the hardest circumstances. That's what James is saying. When you go through stuff, you're going to be able to read the Old Testament about these, these men and women and say, I get that now. It's going to draw you closer to these Old Testament prophets. And we can learn, now look at verse 11 real quick. Verse 11. We count those blessed who endured, the prophets. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. We can learn the deepest secret that Job found out here in verse 11, that even in the midst of the darkest suffering. Even in the midst of the darkest suffering, we can find the mercy and goodness of God. Getting into verse 12. Verse 12. But above all, brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath. So it's not cussing here. It's, it's, it's swearing. It's oaths. Don't tell your parents. We talked about swearing. But, you're, let, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall into judgment. When he says above all, he doesn't mean that 
the most important thing is that you don't say bad words, though it is important. He's not talking about that kind of swearing here, okay? This is a warning. When he says above all, that's kind of his way of starting the conclusion. Like when you say in closing or finally, that's what James says when he means above all, okay? He's starting the conclusion of the letter. This warning against swearing is not a warning against bad language swearing. People in that time had begun to swear oaths by all sorts of things. Heaven, earth, their home, their crops, etc. So they would swear on things that didn't matter, and then they'd just break the oath. But you swore on the student building white chairs that you would never, and you can just be like, the chairs don't matter, and then you could break the oath, right? No disrespect, right? Break the chair. Yes, Hannah. Not just kidding. Take it, relax. So the guys on the podcast are like, well, Ryan's really losing control here. So then they would break their oaths, right? This shows a lack of integrity and a lack of honesty. And listen, look at what James says. Let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under judgment. James is saying, listen, James is saying, as Christians, we don't do that. We're honest. You shouldn't have to swear by anything because God is your judge and I know that you'll be honest. This is not, now listen, just a real quick word here. This is not against like an official oath, like being sworn in as a doctor or a police officer. That's, that's fine. Making your oath, and, you, know, like you can't go to court and be like, uh, James chapter 5, I'm not going to swear. You can't do that. James is talking about religious oaths, not professional ones. Now, let's get into kind of our home stretch here. 13. 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. James says that when you suffer, take that suffering to Jesus. He's coming back soon. He's at the door. Why would you not tell him about your suffering? If you're in a good mood, if you just knocked it out at school today, celebrate that by thanking God for it. Now we get into verses 14 and 15. I want to spend a little bit of time here before we're out. So let's go 14. All right, here we go. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. We're going to do this in a minute. I'm just kidding. Uh, Go to 15. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. We need to talk about anointing with oil. Okay. Um, Here's where this gets real. Kristen's dad passed away uh, April of this past year, right? We're in the hospital bed. We're in the hospital room, right? We're, we're right in there. And Kristen's mom's friend is with us. Kristen's mom's friend is very spiritual, right? She's, she's kind of all over the map. Sweetest lady ever. She's staying at an Airbnb. She is, we're in the room, and she tells us that the lady at the Airbnb who let her stay there heard about what was going on with Kristen's dad and felt sorry for us, so she left us a vial of oil. She has, Kristen's mom's friend has brought the oil into the hospital room and says, we should pour this over Russell and pray for him. Jackie looks at me and is like, which is exactly what she should have done, and she's like, Ryan, I mean, do we do this? Should we do this? And outwardly, I'm like, hmm. But inwardly, I'm like, oh. I don't know. So, because I had no idea. So, but thankfully, we kind of, we kind of like faded away from it. We didn't end up having to do it because it just, just didn't feel right. Because I don't know enough about this verse to, to say, is this what we should do? So, let's walk through this and see what's really going on here. So, anointing with oil. First of all, the person is sick. Sick here does not mean common cold. 
This is not my headaches or my shoulder hurts or whatever. This is not what that is. Okay? Um, sick in verse 15, it, says, it means exhausted or worn out. You're so exhausted you can't do anything. They likely can't do anything for themselves. If you notice, the elders are called to the person. So the person cannot come to the elders. This is a bedridden kind of situation. They are to pray over him. He's either in the bed or sitting in the chair, right? Or sitting down at least. In verse 15, look at verse 15. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. The elders do the praying. This person can't even pray for themselves at this point. This is, it. This is how sick this person is. The elders do the praying and the prayers offered in faith. That's what restores the one who is sick. Do you see that? And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. Do you see the word oil in 15 at all? This is not the oil. The oil is not magic. Do not buy oil online. That, there are TV commercials today of dudes selling oil. You've, in, in like broad daylight television, you've probably seen it. Do not buy oil. And I know it's like, Ryan, I'm not going to do this, but I'm just saying it because you just don't know. Don't buy oil online. Don't buy it in some telemarketer deal. The elders come. The elder, so elder here means overseer. It also means pastor. Okay, This is done in context of the local church. When I say the CEO, you know that's in relationship to the company. Elder is in relationship to the church. The elders were connected to their local church. They didn't travel around to different countries healing. This was not some one-man show from TV or from YouTube coming around healing people. This is not that. This is, these are the elders of the church. It doesn't even say deacon here. Now, deacons are certainly allowed to pray for people and, and, and even come with them, but in James's mind, this is the full-time. This would be like me and Bob and Clyde and that crew. This is what's happening. The prayer is the emphasis. Look at verse 14. Look at verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? He must call the elders of the church. They are to pray over him. Boom, the first, the big hit. They are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The grammar even shows the prayer is the point. Pray for him and then anoint with oil. You know in Matthew when it says, make disciples, baptizing them, that's one of the reasons we don't baptize babies. No disrespect, but it is what it is, guys. Because the Great Commission says, make disciples. That's the emphasis of the verb. Baptizing <coughs> excuse me, is attached to the end. Pray for them, the emphasis, anointing. And then in 15, anointing is gone. The oil is gone. <coughs> then pray in 15, in the name of the Lord. God does this. Not the oil, not the elders. It is God's decision and power. Here's where this is. Throughout the Bible, anointing with oil symbolizes kind of a setting apart to God. The act of anointing does not, as some claim, confer grace or remit sin. It's like fasting. Anointing is a way to go beyond your daily patterns. Um, it doesn't make anything special. It's a way to make the whole situation. We did Secret Santa growing up, right? We reach in and you pull the name out of the hat, right? We did our secret Santa gifts on Christmas Eve. So like the gifts themselves weren't special, but we made it special. You see what I'm saying? That's what anointing oil, it doesn't do anything special. It just makes the situation special. Jesus Christ, 
The word for Christ in Greek is anointed. There was no oil poured on Jesus. He was just set apart. The point of the oil is to be set apart. There is no special magic with that. The healing belongs to God through the prayer of the elders. And the reason I want to show you guys that is just to remind you over and over again, be careful as you put stock in things that people say and do in church world. Be sure you use the Bible as your filter for it. When talking about spiritual warfare or angels and demons or ghosts, use the Bible as your filter for this. When talking about how someone becomes a Christian, Use your Bible as the filter. When talking about anointing someone with oil, I, it, it doesn't say, my, my analysis from that is not that we shouldn't ever do it. But when we do it, we need to be sure that you understand that this oil is not what's special. It's the gathering of the elders. It's the prayer in Jesus' name that might bring healing. 